Captains of this town, says Mr. Pickwick, appear to be soldiers, sailors, chalk, shrimps, and dockyard men. The commodities chiefly for sale are marine stores, hardbake, apples, flatfish, and oysters. The streets present a lively appearance, occasioned chiefly by the conviviality of the military. It is delightful to see these gallant men staggering along under the influence of an overflow both of animal and ardent spirits. Nothing, as Mr. Pickwick, can exceed their good humour. It was but the day before my arrival that one of them had been grossly insulted in the house of a publican. The barmaid had refused to draw him any more liquor, in return for which he had, merely in playfulness, drawn his bayonet and wounded the girl in the shoulder. And yet this fine fellow was the very first to go down to the house next morning and express his readiness to overlook the matter. The whole population of Rochester rose from their beds at an early hour of the following morning, in a state of the utmost excitement. A grand review was to take place upon the lines. The manoeuvres of a half a dozen regiments were to be inspected by the commander-in-chief. Temporary fortifications had been erected, the citadel was to be attacked and taken, and a mine was to be sprung. Mr. Pickwick and his three companions stationed themselves in the front rank of the crowd, and patiently awaited the commencement of the proceedings. At length, a low roar of many voices ran through the crowd. A few moments of eager expectation, and colours were seen fluttering gaily in the air. Arms glistened brightly in the sun. Column after column poured onto the plain. The military band struck up, and nothing was to be seen as far as the eye could reach, but a long perspective of red coats and white trousers, fixed and motionless. Mr. Pickwick's gratification was unbounded. Oh, can anything be finer? he inquired of Mr. Winkle. Oh, nothing, replied that gentleman, who had had a short man standing on each of his feet for the quarter of an hour immediately proceeding. It is indeed a noble sight, said Mr. Snodgrass, in whose bosom a blaze of poetry was rapidly bursting forth. Oh, we are in a capital situation now, said Mr. Pickwick, looking round him. The crowd had gradually dispersed in their immediate vicinity, and they were nearly alone. Oh, capital, echoed both Mr. Snodgrass and Mr. Winkle. Mr. Tupman had suddenly disappeared, and was nowhere to be seen. "'What are they doing now?' inquired Mr. Pickwick, adjusting his spectacles. "'I, I, 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 I rather think,' said Mr. Winkle, uh, uh, changing colour, I, 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 I rather think they're going to fire.' "'Nonsense,' replied Mr. Pickwick. He had hardly uttered the word when the whole half-dozen regiments levelled their muskets as if they had but one common object, and that object the Pickwickians, and burst forth with the most tremendous discharge.' It was in this trying situation, exposed to a galling fire of blank cartridges, that Mr. Pickwick displayed that perfect coolness and self-possession, which are the indispensable accompaniments of a great mind. He seized Mr. Winkle by the arm, and placing himself between that gentleman and Mr. Snodgrass, besought them to remember that there was no immediate danger to be apprehended from the firing. Mr. Pickwick was right. The firing ceased. But he had scarcely time to congratulate himself on the accuracy of his opinion, when a movement was visible in the line. The hoarse shout of the word of command ran along it, 
and the whole of the half-dozen regiments with fixed bayonets charged down upon the very spot on which Mr. Pickwick and his friends were stationed. Mr. Pickwick gazed for an instant on the advancing mass, and then fairly turned his back and trotted away at as quick a rate as his legs would convey him. Mr. Snodgrass and Mr. Winkle had each performed a compulsory somerset, when the first object that met the eyes of the latter was his venerated leader at some distance off, running after his own hat, which was gambling playfully away in perspective. There was a fine, gentle wind, and Mr. Pickwick's hat rode sportively before it. The wind puffed, and Mr. Pickwick puffed, and the hat rolled over as merrily as a lively porpoise in a strong tide. Mr. Pickwick was completely exhausted, and about to give up the chase, when the hat was blown with some violence against the wheel of a carriage. Mr. Pickwick, perceiving his advantage, darted briskly forward, secured his property, and paused to take breath. He had not been stationed.